0: and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women to challenge expectations and supports them on their journey to embodiment. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Welcome to the first interview in April. And if you didn't know, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So during this entire month, every interview that we host will be the story of a survivor of sexual assault. Now, I know that some of the past episodes have been survivors of sexual assault as well, and I have to tell you, when I came up with the idea of the Survivor Series, I was hoping um, to be able to sort of dilute the stories of um, how many sexual assault survivors would come uh, to the project. The unfortunate reality is that most of the women who come to me have a story of surviving sexual assault, which means that this month of awareness is more critical than ever, and it is an absolute honor to hold space for these stories. Not the least of which is today's interview with Kira. Kira and I met just a few minutes before she sat down and interviewed with me, and that will never, ever cease to amaze me. The willingness and vulnerability of these women who don't know me and just spend a few minutes getting to know me and then they crack open the most painful parts of themselves to share it with you to provide hope and healing. And so while I know the topic can be heavy and potentially difficult to enter into, I want you to be aware that it is important that we stay as long as we can, safely of course, If at any point, anything Kira has to say um, is triggering to you and you don't have a support system in place, please stop listening. But if we're able to stay and hear Kira's wisdom about how she navigated the years of abuse that she suffered, but more importantly, how she navigated her healing, that's just such a gift to us. And so I'm hoping that you'll hear something for yourself in Kira's story today. So let's drop in and hear from the brave and beautiful Kira. So this is Kira. Um, Kira was sent to me through a third party who said, hey, you might want to check out this project. And Kira and I don't really know each other at all. We just spent the last 30 minutes kind of getting to know each other a little bit. Um, The thing I know about Kira right from the start is that she has done the work Uh, To find space for herself and for her own story in this world and that is absolutely enough for me So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for saying yes.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure
0: to be here. Awesome So we'll start the way we always start. Um, Tell me what you think it means to be a survivor
1: Well being a survivor I think has a lot to do for me with the visualization of forging steel and I think Mm -hmm. that every time steel is folded it becomes stronger, and I think each time I survive something in my life, I become stronger for it, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the whole point of the work. Hmm. The work after surviving something is what brings meaning to it and ultimately allows you to grow from it.
0: That's really good. Steel. I hadn't thought about that. So tell us what you know about surviving. Tell us about your story. Well...
1: It's a long road. It starts early on.
0: Okay.
1: When I was a kid I was bullied endlessly. And it left me seeking friendship and um, sources of comfort that I may not have gotten at home or you know, I just didn't get from my peers like most other kids might have. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty much a loner and I did my own thing and I was fine with that for the most part. Kind of always when you were young? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, when you have a pool in your backyard, you have seasonal friends. But oh. for the most part, I was a loner. <laughs> um, and I was big into the arts, so I would spend a lot of time sketching and painting and drawing in my room and things like that. And I remember in middle school, I was big into mythical creatures, and so I, I would sketch and draw mythical creatures as they were in you know real art and that Mm. included a little bit of nudity and i remember that uh, for the life of me being bullied for being a lesbian because i drew a breast was just the most ridiculous thing in the whole wide world and um wow of course
0: yeah of course because that's what we know how to do that's what we know to do with yeah wow and you know
1: Whatever stigmas that leads to in a small town, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody can understand that. Just layers and layers of issues with my peers, I guess. Um, Ultimately, uh, what led to the, the main event was I broke my leg in seventh grade and I needed to come to school early every morning so that I didn't slip and fall on my crutches on the, um, on the slippery laminate flooring in my, in my middle school because mm-hmm. of the snow, because it was December. And so to avoid slipping and falling on the stairs with crutches, I would get there a half hour early and I would sit with my middle school teacher. Um... I mean, it started as you would think. He would make conversation with me for the half hour before classes would start. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed those conversations. Most people didn't interact with me and didn't take notice of me as a person. And so I gravitated towards that attention. One thing led to another. And as luck would have it, he took a liking to me. I joined his after-school club, which just increased the amount of time I got to spend with him. And <clears throat> he definitely took advantage of me in the subtle ways. He mm-hmm. was not overt. He was very subtle. And I'm not sure who in the audience understands conditioning, but that, that was what he was doing.
0: Talk a little bit about that so that people can maybe identify what um, themselves in that part. So people who might not know what conditioning means. I'm familiar with the concept, but what does conditioning mean? So
1: conditioning is a series of actions that would make someone either feel like everything is normal, Mm -hmm. where up front they may not feel like it's normal. You know, if I were to be plopped into six months into this friendship of mine with this teacher, it wouldn't have seemed normal, but because it took six months ever so slowly. It it became normalized. And, you know, just the way that he conducted himself, he always assured me there's nothing wrong. There's nothing strange here. It's all normal. And I care about you so much. Right. And so it was just almost brainwashing. Um, Brainwashing uh, is a pretty good way of putting it. And so I did. I became very reliant on him and I really enjoyed his quote unquote friendship and time passed. Um, I went into the next grade and I still went in to visit him and I started getting some unwanted attention um, from my peers which the rumor mill that was always continued to be and I was apparently having an affair with this teacher, right? The Rumor mills say what they mm. want to say.
0: I'm curious how they reconciled that with the fact that you were a lesbian.
1: Mm, right? I There is no...
0: Right, rhyme or reason. Continuity yeah. in this world. So.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> it's just rumors, you know? That's It's the flavor of the day. Mm-hmm. So, um, after a while, he would um, reach out and touch my leg, or he would just make me feel wanted but again for a middle schooler I don't think it was the kind of wanted that I needed
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and far be it for me to understand the difference Mm -hmm. so got to a point where he would start driving me home from school and I would tell my dad yeah no I'm not taking the bus and you know yeah I've got a ride don't worry about me and he would drop me off every single day after school And before he'd let me in his car, he would ask me to kiss him. Mm
0: -hmm. And the
1: first time, it was really strange. But then again, that conditioning, it became very normal after a while. And, you know, looking back, it's uncomfortable. But at the time, it just seemed like the thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so you went along with it, and that's just what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So that went on for quite a bit of time after I graduated from middle school and I went on to high school, I still had very few friends and I still got bullied for this, that, and the other thing. But, um, I told myself that I was no longer going to talk to this teacher
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and life went on. I found my first boyfriend. It was, it was wonderful, right? Until he started a pattern of abuse and, um, He asked me to do some things that I wasn't comfortable with. And, you know, and when you're in love with your first high school boyfriend, you do what he wants, I guess. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe not. But in my world, that's what happened. And so it's a long road, but ended with doing some things that I wasn't comfortable with which led to a trip to Planned Parenthood and everybody kind of exploded with anxiety and he broke up with me and three months later wanted me back and then cheated on me and it was just it certainly didn't make me feel like a wanted human being. Mm
0: -hmm. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. Um when you stopped talking to the teacher, did he honor that, or did he...
1: He did honor that. And later on in the story, I can explain why. Okay.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to... I was just curious. You're, you're fine. But yeah, okay.
1: he, he did honor that um, more out of fear, I think, than anything else. Okay. And when my high school boyfriend broke up with me for the second time... I felt alone, and I felt scared, and I didn't get a lot of support from my family. I didn't have any friends, really. Um, so, guess who I went back to? Mm, the teacher. <laughs> I was conditioned to believe that the person who cared about me the most was that middle school teacher.
0: Mm.
1: And so I went back. Um, I went back probably the age of 16, and I made contact with him. And I started to work on his farm as, you know, just a farm hand, I guess you could say. He had a few horses, and he had quite a bit of acreage, and he paid me to do things around around the farm and the property. So I did that, and again, slowly but surely, he would ask me about, well, what happened to in the interim? And you know, what What kind of, you know, sexual experiences have you had? And I should have picked up that he was trying to see what he could get away with, mm-hmm. which that's exactly what he was doing. Um, and I'm not really sure how it started, but most of the memories that are most prominent... Um, exist around him taking advantage of me on that farm Mm -hmm. when I was working, or taking me on tiny little field trips to a gun club for sexual favors, or waiting until his wife would leave the farm and ask me for sexual favors, Mm. or while I'm working in the barn, come into the barn for sexual favors, and it just, it was just the theme
0: Mm -hmm. of that
1: time of my life and because there were many things about working on the farm that I did enjoy Mm -hmm. I continued to stay there despite the discomfort that it did cause I got to ride horses which I was absolutely in love with and I had a home away from home Yeah, and that brought its own comfort for me his wife loved me Uh, Like her own niece, or something like that, and that brought me comfort. Well, you felt seen there. I did. I felt very seen and I felt wanted.
0: Right. And there's no, there is, I think that's a um, survival instinct in us Mm -hmm. to be seen and wanted because then it means we're not, we're with the herd, we're not on our own, right? And so the visceral uh, attachment to that need I think this story really beautifully illustrates how deep that is in us like see me know me want me let me belong and at any cost probably for us because it's attached to our sense of survival Mm -hmm. and safety right I would agree. I think as
1: a kid that survival instinct is stronger. Yeah. Nowadays, now that I'm an adult, I look back and said I would never do anything like that to be wanted by anybody. But when you're a kid and you feel like you need approval to survive, it right. it's I would say anybody who feels that they're in a situation where they're not getting love from the source they should be getting love should find love within themselves and not try and find love where they shouldn't be getting it from because, yeah, there are people that will take advantage of you and
0: you
1: can't let them.
0: I didn't mean to interrupt you again, but it was really clear to me that the whole, um, as you kind of lay it out, this whole, uh, one of the lines I use often in my life is uh, is the price of a mission worth the ride. So, you know, it's sort of a, it's not really crass, but it's a generalization around how we make decisions based on what we're getting from a thing. What can we tolerate? Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense to me at 40 that a 16-year-old who doesn't feel seen anywhere else is willing um, to tolerate a lot to be seen and loved that way.
1: Well, especially a 16-year-old who for most of that time frame never did feel seen anywhere else you know and it's I've only lived one life so I can only imagine what it's like to go from being seen to not being seen but when you've never been seen you experience it for the first time it is the strangest feeling and Mm. every fiber of my being told me we need more of this yep you know it's it's so deeply ingrained the need to be wanted the need to be part of something outside yourself and when it's offered to you in whatever form it's tempting Mm -hmm. and I think part of growing up and understanding who you are as a person is knowing what opportunity you're being offered is good for you Mm -hmm. and what you should say no to yeah Yeah. Um, but I would say yeah as my 16 year old self while the price of admission was steep the the ride was worth it I guess yeah so yeah that went on for two years and I remember I was graduating high school at the time when I had started seeing a therapist and I remember
0: what was the impetus to see the therapist
1: I knew something needed to change okay So, you know, I was graduating high school and I got to a point in my life where I had started doing journaling and I had started doing a lot of inward thinking and asking myself what's good for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the tools at the time, but I knew something needed to change. And so I looked around and I, you know, asked my parents, well, who's on our insurance? Who can I go see as far as therapy goes? So they gave me a list and I chose one that... You know, she specialized in sexual abuse and, and trauma and things of that nature and so I I went and I remember she was way more than I thought she'd be. She was she was quite awesome in retrospect, but I felt very overwhelmed yeah. up front, you know, being asked a whole a whole bunch of probing questions that I had avoided answering for years. Right. You know, and it's it's overwhelming the first time you go to therapy for something, but I made such ground with her. And by the time I started undergrad that next fall, I had a level of self-worth that I never would have thought possible, um, which led to... A rather tense conversation with my abuser. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was on his farm, clear as day. It's just he and I in the field were standing there next to a horse and I'm brushing the horse and he brings me a tiny little wild flower and he's twirling it in his finger and he's asking me, what's, what's up with me today? You seem so different. And the tone was more skeptical and worried for himself than, than me perhaps.
0: Right. Right. What does this mean for me? Yeah. Right. Cause I
1: mean, I've always been the kind of person if I'm gonna do it, I'll do it. If I'm not going to do it, I won't. And when I've decided something needs to happen, it will hell or high water. Right. So I'm a cold turkey kind of person. (laughs) And I had decided that the abuse needed to stop for myself. Um, and you know, just just so I could find out who I really was and what I was made of, I guess. Um, so there I was with him, and he asked me what was what was up. And I looked him dead in the eye, and I said, "You're never gonna touch me again." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "You're never going to touch me again." Mm-hmm and he's like what's the what's the matter do do, do we need to like uh, uh, what, what do you need and i'm like i need you to never touch me again mm. and there was this long pause it was so uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> it was just so uncomfortable um, cuz it was the first time in my entire life that i had put my foot down and said i am worth mm more than, than what you have to give or I'm worth more than, honestly, than I thought. Like I was just, I had reached a point where I had finally dug up some self-worth and I was ready to throw it around and it felt so good that day. Were you afraid? I was, I was afraid of what he was going to do. Yeah. Yeah from me being as forceful as I was being. Yeah. Um, And the conversation went on, and it was him asking me what he did wrong, and, I mean, just imagine now, a full-grown man asking the person he abused what he did wrong, and (laughs) it was just the craziest conversation. But it did end, and in the end, I said, when I leave, I'm never coming back, and I don't want you to contact me. And whatever comes of this will come of this, but you and I are done. And that's exactly what happened. I went back in the house. I grabbed my things. I said goodbye to his wife, just like I would always say goodbye to her. And then I left. And I never went back. Ever. And that day, I accepted that I was giving up all of the things that came along with mm. knowing him and having him in my life. Mm. And that was the first time I ever really chose to give things up for me. Mm. You know, because I think there's, there's a difference between getting what you want and knowing what you're worth. And I was getting what I wanted. I got horseback riding. I got working on a farm. I got outdoor time. I got people who wanted, you know, wanted me around and I got a lot of things that I wanted. Mhm. But I was worth more than being abused. I, I was worth getting all of that without being abused.
0: Yeah. You deserve the ride without the price of admission. Right. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> so you left, you're 18. Mm-hmm. You're getting ready to start undergrad, you said. Yep. Did you do undergrad in New York? I did. Okay. So um, I don't know really the geography of what happened next. So did you see him again? Was there?
1: I did not see him again. Okay. Um, he was in the area, but I think 30 minutes outside of it. I stayed local for undergrad and didn't see him. He he was retired by the time I was going into undergrad, so he was no longer in the teaching realm. He didn't Mm -hmm. really leave much. Mm -hmm. I had no reason to see him. He and I really didn't go to the same places. Mm -hmm. And at that point I started trying to make friends trying to start new, trying to define my worth and understand what I was willing to do to get what I wanted, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think everybody finds choosing a major in undergrad hard,
0: but... (laughs) I'm getting ready to send my daughter to college next year and the other day I looked at my wife and I said, Since when do we send babies to college? Why is there why is it baby college? We asked them to make life decisions. She's a very capable human, but she's eight. Uh, 17 capable yeah how does she know what she wants to be for the rest of her life i don't i still don't necessarily <laughs> yeah, me neither um, <laughs> it's it is it is absurdity that we do this to I, people
1: you know i am 31 years old and i still ask what do i want to be when i grow up yeah yeah <laughs> that's okay. the thing yeah so but you know i i get to undergrad and for the first time i was like well i have i have a future i have i have you know, I'm going to go at this, right? I, yeah. I'm going to get something with my life. And um, tried a lot of things and met a lot of people, and it was, I still didn't feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest part is realizing that your meaning doesn't come from others, and it doesn't come from the things you accomplish. Mm. And that your life won't have meaning unless you yourself assign it meaning. And if you have the, the wherewithal to, to identify your own worth and know that that's all, that's all you've got is, is what you've given yourself hmm. and what you've allowed yourself. And now that I'm older and I've done some work with myself, I definitely feel that all the change comes from within. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect the world to change for you. And
0: so you have this—you know—up until you're 18, you have this—you have this pattern of behavior that, um, for very c- good reason. Was assigning, was getting, you know, was more emphasizing the getting what you wanted or needed, really. I mean, when you describe those things, like the horseback riding wasn't a need, something you wanted, right? Mm-hmm. But at the core, there were some needs that were being met. So you, I'm assuming it wasn't like a light switch. I mean, that's long term learned behavior. So were there, I mean, I can tell that now you have a, a lot of, like I said in the beginning, sort of this self-actualized understanding, but were there hiccups along the way in that process of understanding like, no, I am just, I am, that's enough, you know, or did it just, was it a light switch where you were like, I used to live this way, I live this way now?
1: Um, there were hiccups. I think that every single time I tried to distance myself from that man, I was on the road to believing that I was worth a little bit more than I was, you know, allowing myself but every time I would come up against a situation that stressed me out or upset me or made me feel less wanted than usual, I would run back. And that's part of the conditioning and that's part of the, the lack of self-worth. Yeah. And I think the combination of the two really just put me into the the jaws of this predator yeah, over and over and over again. Yeah. And um, if it weren't for therapy and if it weren't for the tools that I got from therapy, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have been able to pry myself out that final time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and there's a lot to be said for knowing when it's a good time to talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of stigmas about therapy and, you know, they have a lot of names, which you know i don't think they deserve i think talking to an unbiased mm. sounding board is one of the most important things that we can do we can talk to our families about it but that's just awkward <laughs> we can talk yeah. to our friends about it but they're biased yeah you know if you want an, an honest opinion
0: mm-hmm.
1: a well educated opinion right and some direction in your life why not see a therapist yeah they gave me the tools that i've used over and over and over again throughout my life to bring me to a state of awareness that I'm in today. Hmm.
0: I can relate to that too. Um, there's kind of like a little trio of things that I go back to for healing over and over. And therapy is one of the, the stands or the legs on that stand for me. Um, there is no substitute to your point. It it's different than, I I have sometimes I I talk to people who say I just I already talk about it. It's not you know why do I need to talk to someone else? Um, what would you tell those people? Why do I need to talk to somebody else?
1: Well, um, having told friends about the same issues that I've told a therapist about, I can definitely <laughs> I can definitely assure anyone listening that a therapist is going to have a more qualified Mm -hmm. more objective thing to say they will usually not give you their opinion so much as they will give you a way of looking at it that will help you come to a conclusion about it exactly
0: yeah they help you find it in you yeah the solutions in you
1: and every time you find an answer in yourself you feel like you have more self-worth right you know
0: it's, I it's do. just
1: one more thing that you did mm-hmm. and it's it's good to have those kinds of accomplishments
0: what do you think about yourself today
1: i wouldn't trade this point in my life for anything i feel like i am the most competent confident self-fulfilled version of myself that i've ever been mm. you know and everybody's like oh don't you want to be younger no because i didn't feel like this oh don't you want to be anything else I'm like no because then I wouldn't feel this great mm. and I'm just so happy to be me today regardless of what I've been through I think it gave me the opportunity to feel so strongly about who I am mm-hmm. and it gave me the opportunity to know that I'm stronger for it mm-hmm. I think that everybody I meet who has had a privileged life an easy life they, they don't understand why the world is so unfair mm. and that's a hard question to answer if mm-hmm. you've never really struggled yep. and I think that looking back there's very little that faces me anymore yep. and because of that I am so much more capable yep. and confident at handling whatever comes my way
0: which is what it means to survive yeah mm-hmm. that understanding that we turn this suffering into the exact I mean it provides us the exact stuff that we need in order to become the most authentic version of ourselves so um thank you for all of that oh thank you as we wrap up, I um, close each interview with a question that I want to ask you as well. We, I would assume that there are women in the audience who are surviving something. I don't know what the something is. It could be a whole host of things because that's the way this life tends to work. So um, what message might you have for a woman in the audience who's surviving something?
1: For any woman surviving anything they deem hard to them, I think that if they feel alone or like they don't have the answer to their problem, I would say therapy has, has been the greatest help to me. I know I've only ever had a few friends in my life But those friends are good and they're trustworthy and I can always count on them. And I would say, if you can, purge some of the false people, purge the, I I call it the shallow out of your life. I don't know. I I would say you definitely want to
0: surround yourself with authenticity. Mm -hmm. That's good. Surround yourself with authenticity. Yeah. Because that encourages that and. it's like they hold up people who are authentic who live their lives authentically hold up a mirror for you to do the same. Mm-hmm. In my experience, that's really good. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for your courage and your willingness to share your story with our people. And, um, I'm excited to see what it is that you do with this life that you've got. Thanks, thank Kira. You. Thank you very much. Yeah, all right, friends, that's it for our time with Kira. I know that I say this a lot so much that you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I wish you could sit in the room with me when I interview these women. I would love for you to be able to experience them in real life. Kira is one in particular that I feel that way about. She has this quiet, resolute, deep sense of confidence about her. Um, And it's not something that you sense right away, but It takes about two minutes in conversation for you to know that you do not want to fuck with this badass, Um, and that is just an extraordinary gift for her to have really forged from her own suffering. The parts of Kira's story that really moved me, um, particularly in the beginning when she talked about her lack of belonging, I talk all the time about how powerful a force belonging is, and that is something that we cannot forget. And it's not just true for children, it's true for all of us. We crave love and belonging. I'm hopeful at the very least today that what you can take from Kira's words is your own generous and compassionate response to the people around you, knowing that you have no idea what story they're bringing to the table, but also being certain that their craving and desire for belonging is just as strong as it was when they were four years old we want to know that we belong. If you loved today's episode, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, either on iTunes or on Podbean. Make sure that you leave us a review if you love what we're doing here. You can always follow along at thebeautifulproject.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. I will link to resources for survivors of sexual assault, both local resources and national resources in the show notes thank you so much for lending your voice to our chorus of courage today as we work to create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.